That's because Pastor Nick gets to join everybody and kind of watch uh, tonight and just kind of hang out with you guys. Uh, with that being said, uh, one of the things that we as a church have always talked about and discussed is just the importance of discipleship. What discipleship is, what it looks like, um, and the cool thing is, is I get to invite up my friend here who uh, just so happens to be one of the guys who discipled me when I was young. So when Heather and I first got married, uh, we moved to Verona and we lived across the street from a pastor and his wife, and uh, which also meant that they got to watch through their windows and always spy at us. So you had to be good and behave and, you know, you couldn't do anything bad. Uh, and then it also meant that, you know, sometimes as as uh, Josh discipled me um, in that discipleship, sometimes you start to imitate and look like people. As Paul says, be imitators of me as I'm an imitator of Christ. Uh, I took that a little too serious right away, and I started to buy the same vehicles and everything that Josh had. Um, so he might be able to elaborate a little bit, you know, on his point of view. But on my point of view, you know, I was being cool because I was, you know, looking like Josh and buying a van and stuff like that, you know. What dad with, you know, upcoming kids doesn't look cool in a van? Nick doesn't like vans. Uh, we're going to get to that. It's, it's one of those things that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an honor and privilege for me to be able to just have Josh come up. I'll have Josh come up, uh, and we're just going to kind of talk a little bit first, just so you guys understand um, kind of what he did in my life, because he kind of uh, played kind of a piece in that discipleship. Uh, he's not my pastor right now. He's up in Minnesota, and as a church, we have been um, funding, uh, helping them when it comes to just where you're at now. I just want Josh to be able to take some time, uh, maybe in a couple minutes, and discuss just a little bit what he's doing right now in ministry uh, up in Minnesota at an organization called TLI. Yeah. Uh, that on? Sound on? Okay. I uh, wasn't sure if I pushed the right button. Well, good evening, Dave. Always good to see you. And um, from my perspective, when you started buying the same vehicles, it wasn't um, flattery. It was a little creepy. Um, I was a little frightened. And uh, uh, I, think, I think we moved on past that. I, was, I brought our like, new used vehicle that's actually my son's primary vehicle now. And I was, if you pulled up in a Honda Pilot, from the like early 2000s, that would have been a little strange. But yeah, I've been with uh, TLI, Training Leaders International, for six years now. And we live up in the Twin Cities area, southwest suburbs there, and have been training pastors overseas, uh, traveling and teaching courses to train people in how to preach and teach God's Word. And it's been a joy and a delight. And I love what I do. Um, the last nine months have been a little bit different for us, and uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a, I'm going to talk a little bit about that in, in the message here, but uh, yeah, so it's, it's a, just a joy to be able to train other pastors and build into them. So um, as a church, one of the things I just wanted you to talk about just for a couple minutes too is as, as an American church, sometimes we're a little bit distanced from what's going on uh, in other countries and around the world, uh, and you get to see that a lot kind of mm -hmm. firsthand and up front. Uh, maybe describe a little bit of, of what has been going on overseas as everything around here seems to be kind of uh, chaotic and just a major distraction. 
Yeah, I keep in touch with a lot of our partners. So we have about a dozen different sites that we're teaching in and had been going to. All of those are shut down right now because we can't travel. And then internally in countries, there's a lot of travel restrictions and gathering restrictions depending on where you're at. So for instance, India is almost completely shut down and not an option. Um, other countries are kind of an option, but we can't really get there right now or something um, like that. But uh, you know, I, I'll give you a couple of examples. We were, I was in Brazil in January, and we were looking at starting a new site um, in a fairly large city right in the, the doorway to the Amazon jungle, a city called Manaus. And we had gathered with a, a pastor's conference there, and we're kind of talking about our training and looking forward to doing it. And some of these guys had taken like a two-day canoe ride to get to this training center just for this conference with their wives, and they came down, and um, they're just, it's the only, like, time that they're built into, and they're kind of in these little villages up in the river. Well, in, in Brazil right now, um, if you have watched the international news very much, it's, it's not good with COVID. Um, and the, some of these villages, people were getting sick in, and a number of people were dying, and then no one, because they're disconnected from internet and from phones, they wouldn't find out what was, they didn't even know what COVID was, but the villagers were getting sick. And so um, you can be praying for a lot of these pastors who are serving in lonely places like that without a lot of help and a lot of assistance that are trying to, to just minister to people that are, are grieving and struggling with, uh, with the disease right now. Um, the other group that I'll just maybe mention quickly is uh, in February, the end of February, early March, we, we were in uh, the Middle East training a group of Pakistanis. And um, we, we came back, me and the other teacher uh, came back right when everything was going just nuts. It was, it was a really harrowing journey back. We weren't sure we were going to be able to get back in the country because there was all these restrictions that were coming up. Um, and they weren't sure that they were going to be able to go back to Pakistan. And so we were kind of texting and messaging each other, trying to figure out who got first. And everybody made it back. Um, but it's, a, it's been a rough situation for them as well, but a great opportunity for them to show Christian love in these villages, primarily Muslim villages that they're serving in, um, caring for families, um, caring, because um, just work has stopped in that area. So not just sickness, but people don't have an income. So distributing food, that sort of thing, they're doing that and able to share Christ. And um, our brothers and sisters overseas are frustrated and struggling and uh, as well, but the Lord is using this in some really powerful ways to bring people to him, and um, I'm thankful for that, and thankful for faithful people like these Pakistani brothers and my Brazilian friends that are sharing Christ and sharing his love. So, um, last question that I'll just have you uh, say before um, we move on is, like, what's one area that we can, as a church, be praying for you and your family uh, throughout this time and what's been going on even in the past year and then maybe even, you know, what looks like uh, it's going to happen next year. Yeah, so we have decided not to travel uh, as an organization until next summer. So we're shut down for a while. So this is a strange world for me. Over the last six years, I've traveled every other month overseas, and I'm kind of used to that rhythm, and now I don't have that. So I've, I've kind of gotten a little itchy, and um, yeah, picked up some new hobbies and, you know, just not used to the rhythm of that. So it's, it's been a good time for me to spend with my family, to enjoy that time. Um, but I think we're, we're in a house together just like everybody else and, and just trying to live. And so you can be praying for us in that way. Uh, the other thing, just as we, as we restart training, 
um, there will have been, in some of our locations, a year, maybe even a year and a half, up to two-year gap between trainings. And as we train people, um, it, you can imagine like stepping out of high school your sophomore year and then taking like a two-year break and then trying to jump in on your junior year. Like, oh, what was I learning? You know, I'm in Algebra two now, but what was the, you know, the prerequisite kind of stuff? And that's where we're trying to figure out how do we restart training when we have that sort of gap. And that's a big question, um, as well as just want, not wanting some of our trainees to, to drop off uh, with the training, because it's been a really good uh, thing in so many areas, and um, just be praying for that. Um, so before I let Josh take over the reins and, and we'll preach tonight, um, I just want to pray for Josh and his ministry and just kind of what's going on around the world. So if you guys would just pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just, we just thank you for Josh and the opportunity for him to be able to come down and to, to speak to us tonight. We also just pray for Josh and his family that uh, as life looks different, as life has been kind of changed, uh, even through next summer, that you would continue to uh, just teach him and grow him in, in the way that um, reveals how much of a son he is to you. That is, our identity is not in what we do as much as it is is what Christ did for us. So we just pray and ask tonight that you'd help Josh and his family. We also just pray uh, around the world in all the different locations that TLI gets that uh, you would continue to minister to the pastors in those areas, that you would help them that as they're kind of isolated and lonely and uh, income and everything else seems to be a struggle, that you would continue to pursue them and help them and to and to supply all their needs because you're a God who uh, is so magnificent and you can do miracles and we know that you do miracles all over the place and sometimes it's just the miracle of having a meal that night and we just continue to pray as pastors uh, minister the, and share the gospel to their community that you would continue to be, be faithful to help them to, to guide them and to teach, teach them as, as they continue throughout this next year with a uh, maybe little, little help, that you would be with them, that you would guide them, that you would let them remember what they've learned. And we just continue to pray that uh, as a, an American church, we see the chaos that's going around here in the United States, and sometimes we forget what's going on around the world. And there are uh, tragic death and everything all over the place when it comes down to just the, the care that um, different countries have compared to to our country, and we just ask and pray that you would continue to be with them. Help us to, to remember them. Help us to, to know that all over the world is seeing you move, and we just continue to desire to want to see you move and all over the place. So we just praise your name through all things, and, and we just uh, ask that you would be with Josh tonight as he uh, speaks this message to us, and, and uh, that you would continue to minister to us. So we praise your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Dave. All right. Well, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 27. I know on the bulletins it says the minor prophets, but we're going to be in the Psalms this evening. So if you had already turned to Micah or Nahum or Habakkuk, you're going to have to go back to your left a little bit to Psalm 27, and that's where we're going to spend our time. I was in uh, Janesville for lunch with a, another pastor meeting there, and um, on a beautiful afternoon like this, I kind of took the long route. I think it took me three hours to drive. I, didn't, I turned off my navigation aid and just 
took whatever road looked pretty. And there's a lot of pretty roads right now in southern Wisconsin. Um, don't tell anyone I said this, okay? But I think you guys live in what may be the most beautiful part of the country, right now especially. But it's, it's gorgeous out today. And uh, if it's anything like this tomorrow, go take a drive and enjoy it. Um, I'm fairly colorblind, so I don't quite get the, the, the impact of the leaves turning. But when I can see it, I know it's pretty brilliant. And uh, I'm sure it was even more than I noticed. All right, Psalm 27. Um, oh, just a second here. Goes there. Um, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Goes there. Just, just wait for a minute here, if you would. Um, sorry. Uh, just, just be patient. Just Psalm 27 will be there in a second, but I gotta get these organized. Um, just wait. Just wait. Think two. Three goes there. Okay. All right, I was just playing there. All right, that was intentional because we don't like to wait, right? It's uncomfortable to wait. It's a little awkward, even that illustration of me thumbing through my pages. I did that intentionally for the record, um, but, but you were a little uncomfortable, weren't you? It was a little awkward. It was a little weird. Like, is this guy organized? What's, what's going on here? We hate to wait. We don't like to wait for things. If you got here at 7 and Dave didn't start till 7.05, you'd be like, come on, let's get this thing rolling here, Dave. What's going on, right? When, uh, back in March, when things were kind of super chaotic, um, Amazon's turnaround time for shipping things to you kind of hit a delay. So normally for us, it takes just a couple days to get a package if we order it on Amazon. In fact, sometimes it's like a few minutes because there's a big distribution center just across the river from us in Minnesota. So we can like order something on Amazon and it's there the next day a lot of the time. It's really cool. But during March, it was like a week to wait for something. So you'd order these like impulse buy, boredom shopping, decorative blinds and a week later, you had to wait a whole week to get that package from Amazon. That was tough. That was a hard time, wasn't it? The uh, Big Ten football season has been delayed, and we've had to wait for our beloved teams. You probably have not enjoyed that. Um, for a while there, for us to get into Home Depot, if I needed to buy like a light bulb or something, we had to wait outside because they had a capacity limits, and so sometimes you'd wait for like 20 minutes to get into Home Depot to buy a light bulb. And you could just see people getting mad. And, you know, truth be told, I was a little like some of those people sometimes. We don't like to wait. And yet, we are in an intense season of waiting, aren't we? Many of us would describe our lives right now as just waiting for this thing to get over with. For some of you, that thing is the pandemic. For others of you, it's the election. For others of you, it might be something else. But we are in an intense season of waiting. Life feels, in some ways, like it's on hold. We don't get to visit quite with the people that we do. We're distance and mask, and we're just kind of waiting. And we don't like that. We don't like to wait. But if you've read your Bible, you know that the word wait is found repeatedly in your Bible. It's a theme almost. So I want to read Psalm 27, and you're going to hear David's words in this poem. 
this song, and you're going to hear him call us to wait for the Lord. So let's read this. Psalm 27, verse 1. Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, again, we come to your word, and we ask for your help to understand it, to apply it, to let it impact and transform us. So we ask that your spirit would do that very thing as your word is preached. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, in this psalm, these 14 verses, there are a number of different sections. There's a lot of different ways you could divide up this psalm. At some points, David is addressing different audiences. Sometimes he's calling out to the people of Israel, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. But at other times you see, verse 7 for instance, that David is not addressing the people of Israel, David is addressing the God of Israel. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. So David goes back and forth between different audiences in this psalm. Another way you can look at it is that there are commands in this psalm where David says to do something, like wait, be strong. There's also descriptions where he says, my enemies have encamped around me. And then at other times, there's prayers where he's asking God to do things. There's a lot of different sections in this psalm, and we're going to divide that up, but I'm going to do something a little mm, different here. I'm not going to start in verse 1. I'm going to start in verse 14, and this will infuriate those of you who like good orderly chronology and linear patterns and that sort of thing, but I'm going to start at the end for a reason. We'll get back to the beginning, and then we'll cover the middle as well as we go through this psalm. Don't worry, we'll cover it all, but we're going to start in a little unique place. So if you've started your notes, you may have a hard time on this one if you're a note taker, and I apologize for that. But let's start with part six of this psalm. The conclusion, verse 14. Here's what David says. You heard it a couple times already. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Good, strong, 
beautiful statement there. In fact, if you do read your Bible regularly, if you're familiar with the pages of scriptures, this sort of theme will be familiar to you. David says, wait, at the front and the back end of this verse, but in between, be strong, let your heart take courage. There's this do not be afraid sort of theme that comes out in David's command here. And it's filled, the pages of scripture are filled with this command. A couple examples here. Joshua 1.9, don't turn there. Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God will be with, is with you wherever you go. Jeremiah 1.8, do not be afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Mark chapter 5, verse 36 in the New Testament, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And Paul writes to the Ephesian church in chapter 6, verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. God's people, from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture, God's people are not supposed to operate as fearful creatures. By some accounts, that do not be afraid is the most repeated command in Scripture. It means it might also be the most disobeyed command in Scripture. The problem here is that telling someone to wait or telling someone to be strong or telling someone to, be, to take courage without giving them reason for that confidence is entirely unhelpful and infuriating. It's frustrating. Let me say it again. Telling someone to wait or be strong, or to take courage without giving them the reason for their confidence is entirely unhelpful and frustrating. Let me give you an example. Let's say you uh, have a little accident on the way home, and you break your leg. Compound fracture, there's bones sticking out, it's a mess. So you're carted off to the hospital, and the doctor comes in, the ER doctor comes in, looks at you and says, wait. Be strong. Take courage. Wait. Uh, that's, that's not exactly what you want in the circumstance, right? It's not helpful there. There's an immediate situation that needs resolve, that needs some attention, it would seem. Imagine you go to a restaurant and uh, you order a steak, and maybe this is a beautiful little anniversary dinner or something like that. You order a steak, and the waiter comes back after ordering and says, can you just wait for about a half hour? Be strong. Take courage. But please wait. And that, then he leaves. Like, what? You don't want to do that. Hungry. Ordered a steak. Imagine an anxiety-filled heart concerned about the state of the world right now, concerned about jobs and health and school situations and mortgages and elections and social upheaval. And then imagine a pastor or a church member saying to that person, just wait. There's got to be more to it, right? Don't tell me to just wait. There's got to be more to it. It's infuriating to tell someone to just wait. If you put verse 14 of Psalm 27 in a Hallmark card and put it in the get well section at the local drugstore, and it's about, it's about as devoid of substance as most of those other cards. It just, it just tells you some wishful thinking. It's filled. That doesn't really help. It may 
be encouraging in some ways. It's meant to encourage, but it's impossible to obey. How many of you have ever gotten a get well card when you're sick or when you're injured and you open it up and the card says get well and you're like, oh, yeah, um, I had forgotten about that command and now I need to do that. I need to get well. You don't obey that command, do you? I mean, maybe try, but you, you don't have, there's no connection with how to obey that command. It's just wishful think, thinking. It's a, it's a push here. Christians, though, will take a verse like verse 14 of chapter 27, which is a beautiful verse when it's understood in its right connections, and will put a verse like that on coffee mugs or T-shirts or all sorts of things and just expect people to change. Just wait. Just be patient. But how? How do you be patient when there's all of this going on? Well, thankfully, it's not what David does here. David does not just give us verse 14. It's connected to the rest of this psalm. and We're going to kind of slowly peel back things as we see what's going on in this psalm. Even in this final passage, though, there's a hint of more substance. It's not just wait that David says. What does he say? Wait for, you see it? The Lord. Okay? So it's not just like, hold on. It's not just be patient. It's wait for the Lord. It's not just hang in there. It's not just this till two shall pass. It's not just, ooh, child, things are going to get better here. It's a push towards the Lord that David does here. And it's a push towards God's activity. David says, wait for the Lord because he expects God to do something. Well, what? We're brutally honest here, and I think we're being fairly honest here. We can acknowledge that waiting for the Lord is often a frustrating, trying experience. Whether we're waiting for God's guidance, whether we're waiting for his help or his deliverance, healing maybe, whatever it might be, waiting for the Lord is hard. Our waiting for God often looks more like a fearful, pacing parent 30 minutes after the teenager's curfew on a Saturday night. Oh, when is it going to happen? That's what our waiting often looks like. Or maybe our waiting on the Lord may look more like the frustrated, angry lines at the DMV when A14 is called and you look at your tag and you have XY465. And you're angry, right? And just, come on. When is this going to happen? That's what our waiting often looks like, doesn't it? I can't really see you behind your mask. I'm going to imagine that you're nodding enthusiastically at least or agreeing in some ways. But we know that our waiting doesn't, doesn't look patient very often. If someone could look at us inside. My full-time job, as we just talked about, is in the area of Christian missions. I lead short-term teaching teams to international destinations where pastors don't have access to theological education. It's been eight months since I've been on a plane, and we won't be traveling overseas until the summer of 2021 at the earliest. So I'm in a deep season of waiting. My ministry is, feels like it's on pause in some ways. I'm waiting for travel restrictions to loosen, for our trainees to be able to ascend, uh, assemble again. If you ask my wife how I'm handling it, um, you'll find that I'm by no means an expert on patient, confident waiting. I'm often frustrated and irritable and anxious. I've started about six new hobbies like woodworking and kayak fishing and growing a beard this, uh, this season, it's been, a, it's been a hard time. So let's be honest here together. Our waiting doesn't look strong and courageous like David commands. 
And so we need to understand the rest of this psalm. So part five, the resolution in verse 13. Look at verse 13. I believe I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David's confidence is not in a vague understanding that pain is temporary, but glory is eternal. His confidence, as you can see in verse 14, is in the Lord. But as we kind of move things back into verse 13, we see that there's more to that. It's not just God will work it out or he works all things for good. Those are true. There are deeper truths that feed David's ability to, be, to confidently be strong in the face of hard times. The commands in verse 14 for strength and courage and patient waiting on the Lord are connected to David's confident belief that he will see God. God's what? God's power? God's deliverance? God's might? No. What does he see? I'm confident that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord. That's profound. David's confidence lies in a firm belief that he will observe and experience God's goodness. When he dies, when, uh, when he leaves this old world of suffering and goes to heaven? No. When, will David see, when is David confident that he will see God's goodness? In the land of the living. The shocking thing about this text is that it's not just some hope in the far-off future that we need to so we just need to gut it out for a few years here on this earth. David's belief is that God will act in his lifetime, that he will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so as, before we continue here, we need to take that, I want you to just kind of take that little phrase, in the land of the living. We're going to come back to that one, so put it somewhere for safekeeping. I'll reference it again. It's significant in more ways than one. David, now, in the midst of betrayal, in the midst of brutal warfare, in the midst of a host of enemies, is saying that God's goodness will be seen. So, let's do a little reflection here. Imagine behind me a big old scoreboard, a basketball, a football scoreboard, something like that. On one side, you have David, okay? And we're, the game is confident, patient, waiting. And David's score, it's a solid 10. Like, he's just killing it, draining threes from all over the place and just doing a great job. This has been a great start for David. He's got a good score, a 10, perfect 10, okay? All right. The church today, and this is, this is David in the middle of warfare, in the middle of betrayal, in the middle of bloodthirsty enemies. He's getting a 10. The church today is in the midst of a pandemic and economic uncertainty, social upheaval, all kinds of angry political maneuvering. If David's a 10 on the game of confident waiting, what do we get? I'm going to give us a solid two, all right? At best, at best. Christians today resemble dogs during a thunderstorm rather than those confidently expecting their God to act. I have two dogs. They're the boldest things when there's nobody around or when they're separated from other dogs by a door and windows in a house. But you put a thunderstorm out there, and my dogs are cowering in the corner. David says, be strong, take courage. That's what we're supposed to be because, well, we'll get there in a second. You don't have enemies that want to eat your flesh like David does. If you do, talk to a pastor or potentially a police officer David has problems here. He has real problems. Where is our confident hope in the goodness of God, though? Has God changed? No, of course not. Are we worse off than David? 
Not really. No. Christian, why do you fear? Well, in order to get there, let's go all the way back to verse 1 now. The psalm starts with a few statements about the nature and character of God. First phrase there, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Line 3 of the psalm says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. At the beginning of the psalm, David makes a few statements of theological truth that he would have grown up hearing from his youth. The Lord is our salvation, our deliverer. The Lord is our light and our guide. The Lord is our stronghold. He's a fortress, a protector, a refuge. But as David writes this poem, he also personally responds to these truths. If the Lord is my light and salvation, who do I have to be afraid of? The answer, well, no one. The creator of the universe and the rescuer of your people is for you. If the Lord is my stronghold, who do I have to be afraid of? It's the same answer. There's no one to be afraid of. But understanding theologically, like David puts forward in verse 1, doesn't mean we grasp it when the theological rubber hits the practical road. Theological accuracy about God's character doesn't always uh, result in immediate transformations in our life. For David, there were real enemies out there that could easily eclipse a baseline assertion of God's goodness. And for us, there are real issues out there. There's a real national uncertainty. There's pandemic. There's real social problems out there. There's real division. Where's God's goodness in all of that? Go forward to verses 2 and 3 now. Part 2, the result. Look how David, how David describes his reality and his situation. He says, When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, just a great poetic image there, isn't it? My adversaries and my foes in verse 2. Though an army encamp against me, verse 3. Though war rise against me. This is not garden walking time for David. People want him dead. But look at his response in these verses. So he stated the theological truth in verse 1. God is his light, his salvation, and his stronghold. The reality is that evildoers are trying to figuratively eat his flesh, and armies are encamped around him. But because God is who he is, even in these dire, hard circumstances, David says, they will stumble and fall. My heart shall not, be, shall not fear. I will be confident. Enemies are encamped around him, and David says, I'm confident in the Lord. An understanding of God's nature and power and character eclipses the very real, very scary situations right in front of him. God is greater than his enemies. The masses gathered to kill him. The evil men want his flesh consumed. They are nothing compared to the light and the salvation and the stronghold that is his God. David had real problems, real enemies, real opposition. So do we. Real problems, real causes for concern. But we have a real God who is greater. How do you know this is true? How can we get that to sink into the very core of our being so we can cry out like David, I will be confident? Don't you ache for that sort of approach to life right now? Confidence that God is good, that God's goodness will be revealed in the land of the living, in the face of an election and a winter that will be probably hard. Don't you want some confidence? Well, verses 4 through 6 are the heartbeat of this psalm. David's posture and David's problems are wrapped around these three verses. And he says in verses 4 through 6, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after. And I'm going to highlight some words as I read this passage. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. 
For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. David makes this request. And it all revolves around the house of the Lord, the tent, the tabernacle, or the temple even, as David says it here. David's focus is on the place where he encountered the Lord, where he knew the Lord, where he found shelter in the Lord, and where he ultimately would sing in worship. And that place was the temple or the tabernacle. It's the location where David, where God provided the means of sacrifices so that he could be with his people and they could be with him. This is not a, I want to get out of this mess and get to heaven type of hope for David. There is hope in that, of course, but here David's request is that he would be able to dwell with the Lord all the days of his life. Verse 4, he wants God's presence now. So I ask you to remember a little phrase, that land of the living in verse 13. David is confident that he will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. In this central piece of the psalm, he's expressing a confidence that he will dwell with the Lord in the Lord's tent or tabernacle or house all the days of his life. Listen, there's a type of hope in the Lord that says everything's broken, there's no beauty in this world, take me home, Jesus, get me out of here. And that's a post-mortem escapist hope. And there's a shadow of truth in that. We do have that hope. And we do long for that day when Christ will come. This is a broken world with pain and suffering and sin and evil. And one day we will stand before God's throne and it will be wiped away. We do long for and hope in that day. But David is saying his dwelling and his joy and his confidence is in God's goodness all the days of his life, in the land of the living. He will see God's goodness now, he says. Well, how? How can he experience that? For David, it was wrapped up into the sacrificial system in the temple where he was able to have his sins atoned for and be with his God. That was where he experienced God's goodness in the land of the living. About 250 years after David left the land of the living and went to the grave, the prophet Isaiah recorded God's promises about a servant who would suffer. We often read Isaiah chapter 53 around Good Friday because it foretells the suffering of the servant. But listen to verse 8. Here's what Isaiah says. By oppression and judgment, he, the servant, was taken away And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? David could see and experience the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living because of God's presence and his provision in the tabernacle. Jesus was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken and killed for the sins of God's people. So let me pull that together now. God's people, you and I, can experience his goodness in the land of the living because our Savior was cut off out of the land of the living to pay the penalty for our sin and bring us to God. We can experience God's goodness now as we look to Jesus and his sacrifice on our behalf. It's not just some future hope. There is a ton of future hope. But looking to Jesus shows us God's goodness right now in the midst of chaos, in the midst of mess. Look to Jesus and you see God's goodness now. In the midst of armies encamped against him, 
David could go to the temple and experience and know God's goodness because God's presence was there, because the sacrifice was there. David was made right with God through that temple, which foreshadowed Jesus. We are made right with God. We can see God's goodness as we look to Jesus. Jesus is our light and salvation. So whom shall we fear? Jesus is the stronghold of our life. Of whom shall we be afraid? This should cause us to mirror David's reaction to sing and make melody to the Lord. Well, how do we get there? Even in this psalm, I'm not going to cover verses 7 through 12 in detail. It's a prayer where David just cries out to God and says, Teach me, guide me, show me. Help me see your face. Do you pray like that? Listen, the summary of that prayer is that everything's a royal mess around David, and so he asks God to lead him. I wonder if we do that right now. I wonder if we do that. If you want to see God's goodness in the land of the living, if you want to see God's goodness right now, turn off your TV a little bit more. Sign off social media a little bit more. Open your Bible. Get on your knees. Find Christians that can read with you and see Jesus together with you. Look to Jesus. Do you look to Christ? Have you learned to find Christ in Scripture? Are you dwelling on Christ's goodness or are you dwelling on the state of the economy and mask requirements and look to jesus are you praying and reading your bible and finding ways to pray and read scripture with fellow believers so that you can see jesus and celebrate him or are you consumed with what's around you look to christ so let me conclude and draw you back to verse 13 part five I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Despite war around him, despite enemies pressing in, David saw God's goodness, and he sang because he looked to God's presence and provision. Can you? Despite what's going around us, can you sing? Can you find joy and confidence because you look to Christ and you see God's goodness? And then that conclusion has so much more meaning, right? Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Well, my hope is that you can see how rich this call is based on Christ's sacrifice. I don't pretend to understand what God is doing right now with pandemics and political upheaval and economic uncertainty. One piece I know is that I'm learning to look to Christ more and find joy and confidence in him, and I'm thankful for that. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Because there we see God's goodness in the land of the living. And we are able to wait for the Lord with strength and courage. Let's pray. So Father, we ask you to help us to see Jesus as greater. Because our eyes are easily sidetracked by all that is going on. He is our light he is our salvation. He is our stronghold. Help us to see him. Build us into Christians who confidently look to Jesus and find strength and courage in him. And may we wait patiently and confidently for you because you are good. Amen. Please stand with us for our closing song.